You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. And that is, that's pretty much how you start to improve your, what we term and fill in the carb capacity. So your ability to take on higher amounts of carbohydrates per hour through repeated efforts. You've got to start somewhere. Like the gut is like a muscle. And I think like any muscle, you can train a muscle. So first time you step into the gym, you go onto the bench press, you're not going to bang out 100 kilos. Okay, that's not going to be, unless you're, okay, maybe you're quite strong, but you know, most people are going to go in there, they're probably going to load the bar up, they're going to put a 10 on each side, and that's going to feel pretty heavy. And then the second session, it gets a bit easier. Third session, they start to have more weight and so on. And it's the same analogy with training your gut is start with an amount. You've got a baseline. You know, some people can take in huge amounts from word go with no issues. I, I personally can take in 90 grams an hour on a run with no air, like it, just nothing at all. Now I'm very lucky. A lot of men fortunately have lower, uh, have a higher tolerance to carbohydrates than say women women tend to get more GI issues. And we see this historically and what we're seeing anecdotally through all the, the data that we capture in fueling is that women will generally have a lower consumption rate per hour and also grams per kilo body weight. And so it is through repeated efforts of these type of intensity, i.e. race pace or above, where of significant duration, where the athletes are being encouraged to actually practice their race day fueling in training. That was Scott Tyndall. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with Scott Tyndall, co-founder of Fuel In the game-changing, ultra-personalized performance nutrition coaching platform and app that helps you nail your nutrition and hydration during training, racing, and life. With 20-plus years of experience in professional sports, Scott is a performance nutrition advisory board member at Ironman. He is a nutrition coach to professional triathletes and executives and the former head of performance nutrition for Toronto Maple Leafs, Team Oracle USA, and Professional Rugby. Before we dive in to our conversation, shout out to my sponsors, Inside Tracker, who also happen to be Scott's go-to for blood work and data. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code cheers Marnie. Now back to my conversation with Scott. Fuelin syncs up with Training Peaks or today's plan 
customizing your diet and scheduling meals based around the training sessions and efforts you are putting in. Fuelin works in alignment with your nutrition and performance goals, telling you what to eat before, during, and after training. And you can track your progress easily via the app's integration with MyFitnessPal and LoseIt. During our conversation, Scott unpacks how the app and platform work, where it all began, and all the cool features and levels Fuelin has to offer its members. We talk about the importance of training your gut, leveraging the power of carbohydrates for racing, the time and place for carbs in your diet, and how to figure out the exact amount of carbs you should be taking into your diet. Scott also does a deep dive into hydration and dehydration and understanding how to figure out just how much hydration you need during your sessions and racing. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to wherever you get your Apple podcasts. Click on the Money on the Move podcast. Scroll through to the five stars and then click on leave a review and tell us what you love and what you're listening to. Also, feel free to share this episode or any of the episodes on your social channels wherever you like to get social. Also, exclusive to Marnie on the Move listeners, Fuelin and Scott Tyndall are offering 20% off for your first month of sign up. Use my code MARNIE20. Now, on to my conversation with Scott. Tell me about Fuelin and what you do. Yes, so Fuelin is a uh, nutrition program that is an iOS app, and what it allows is particularly Ironman and triathlete um, athletes to really dial in their day-to-day nutrition so that not only can they be, you know, racing their best race, but also really dial in their overall health. Awesome. And what inspired you to start this app and platform? Yeah, I mean, I I guess the the thing, it all started uh, back in 2017 when I started working with um, a female professional athlete by the name of Sarah Piampiano. Okay. Um, she was a, um, a high-performing professional triathlete at the time, but also had a number of health issues, um, which she's been very you know open with in terms of um, in social media and things like that with Hashimoto's and uh, some thyroid issues, uh, as well as a lot of gut-related issues. Uh, so we started. We were introduced to each other, and she was under the guise of. Uh, Dixon from okay. Purple Patch, yeah, uh, yeah training, and uh, based in California. So we started working together and went about sort of, you know, not just looking at her race performance, but really dialing in what was happening with her overall health. So uh, we did a lot of testing in terms of blood testing. She did metabolic card. We did some gut testing through metabolomics uh, and went about changing her diet on a day-to-day basis and then what I realised is that uh, they were using uh, today's plan at that point in time. Yeah. So today's plan is similar to training peaks in the way the coach sort of uh, puts it out. So what I started doing with Google Sheets was sort of mirroring their, their training plan. So I could see she had a training session in the morning and then one in the afternoon. So I was then building all her meals or feeds as we would talk, talk about them. Um, you know, before, during and after every session. And we would periodize that based on carbohydrate amounts. Okay. So 
the theory was, and it sort of relates to a seminal paper by James Morton and Sam Empey, which was uh, titled The Fuel for the Work Required, which, you know, you're probably quite familiar with yes. and probably a lot of your, your listeners are. And what this talks about is the notion that you, you know, I think carbohydrates are demonised pretty much well, or they have been demonised in social media. Yeah, and, and so what this paper did was say, you know, carbohydrates are an essential macronutrient, especially one for endurance athletes, and when used appropriately based on duration and intensity of exercise, they can be extremely useful in creating not just uh, obviously high performance but improving metabolic flexibility and improving you know, markers where that might be things like body composition or potentially health markers such as blood markers as well. I think that that is such an awesome tool to be able to have as an athlete. And I feel like how important is it to be just so dialed in to your training, but also to your, your nutrition around your training and having something like fuel in I love that you had it originally in Google Sheets because that's so something I would do. I mean, I've I've done things like that where I know in Training Peaks you can map out your entire training program for the year, but I like to see it a different way visually. So I've done it in Excel. How important is it to be dialed in? Well, I think I think what we saw with someone like Sarah, so – you know, previously, prior to that, I mean, it's very funny. Like, she always tells the story. She'd seen some celebrity nutritionist in LA and was effectively told to eat, um, you know, a pound, what was it, two pounds of meat in the evening, so about a kilo of meat in the evening, and that was her predominant protein, um, you know, source yeah. for the day. She was eating very low amounts of carbohydrates and very low amounts of fat. But her overall nutrition just wasn't in line with what her training was and, and ultimately she was getting pretty sick as a result right um so when you go back you know when i use her as an example what we started doing was effectively just providing meals when and the, the composition of those meals was appropriate to what the training was i.e if it was low intensity long duration you would use lower amounts of carbohydrates lowered glycemic index type foods um you know potentially use a little bit more fat and fuel that session appropriately. But when it came to higher intensity, um, you know, sessions of a significant duration, you know, if you're doing 60-minute sessions, even if they are Z3, Z4, Z5, you don't need to be fueling that in session with a lot of carbohydrates. But when you get past sort of, you know, that 80, 90-minute and you need to continue going, then come, and if you're working at a certain intensity, i.e. more than 65% of your VO2 max, then you're going to require carbohydrates to continue fueling that session if your goal is to perform really well in that session. And right. I think that's the take-home point is it depends on what the purpose of the session is. Right. And so when we look at fueling, what we're doing, and, you know, we've gone beyond Google Sheets obviously now. Um, we have an iOS app that syncs, syncs directly with the athlete's training peaks, today's plan, and final surge. And so... What the athlete now gets is an actual nutrition program that is actually tailored to what their coach is delivering in their training plan. And that, for me, that's very, very unique in that. It's absolutely brilliant. I think it is like the best thank you. idea. Yeah, I mean, thank you. thank you very much. The other products that are out there, they're not designed for this. This is such a unique concept. 
also sync with my fitness pal and with lose it. Yeah. So, you know, your macronutrients are obviously, we give out your daily macros from a protein, a fat, a carbohydrate, total caloric requirement, plus all the in-session fueling and what sort of targets you should be hitting um, with prescription of types of foods that you should be using or supplements, especially for higher intensity sessions. But yeah, the fueling app will sync with uh, my fitness power with lose it and so it, it nearly becomes a little bit of a game where you know you're you're trying to knock off the target of yeah. calories of macronutrients within the day um, and selecting you know within even within the app we've got I think over 750 different recipes which are all again color-coded so that red is lower and we don't talk about low carbohydrate low you know the definition of low carbohydrate is probably less than 50 grams of carbohydrate in an entire day. We talk about lower grams of carbohydrate, i.e. in a meal, that would be around 30 grams of carbohydrates. And if we're talking about across an entire day, it's probably less than around 3, 3.2 grams per kilo of body weight of carbohydrate, which again, for the listeners, they're probably like, oh God, there's a lot of math coming in. And it's like, I get it. And I was just writing an article for um, Triathlete Magazine and it's a it's based around a 12-week sort of nutrition program for um, someone doing a build towards a long course, so 70.3 or an Ironman. And I start to write this article and I'm like, you start putting in mathematical equations yeah. and how to do it and fact factoring in week on week uh, hours of training, intensity, if the purpose is to lose weight in the first six weeks and so on. And it... it you can see why so many athletes get confused because there is so much background calculations and thought yeah. that goes into it. And as an athlete, you know, there's there's so many different sort of approaches and strategies and things that you hear are right or wrong, exactly <clears throat> what you're saying. And then just being in the regular world, right? Like not being an athlete, but listening to just general diets, like whatever the popular diet is of the season. It's, it's all so much information, so confusing. And I always say, whenever anyone asks me, and even for me, like you have to really know yourself and do what works for you. I'm always like biohacking my nutrition because, you know, it changes. Two years ago, I was doing two completely different things for my diet and for specifically you know, everyday versus training. And now I have to rethink it because the two years that we were off, I wasn't in that like race zone as frequently as I would have been. I added some very bad foods to my diet like everyone did during the pandemic. It is what it is, but you have to like do you and understanding how your body works is as an athlete, we have this advantage because we're constantly on you know, training peaks or today's plan and looking at our at our heart rates and our all of the metrics that we look at to get better. You know, nutrition is the fourth sport and it's really awesome to be able to be so dialed in to your nutrition. And carbohydrates, we're gonna talk about them. <laughs> well we're talking about carbs and we talk about like let's touch on what you said there. Like I think so many athletes we see come onto the program. They've they've done all these fancy diets, yeah. you know, they've tried this, they've tried that. And if you actually come down to the basics of science, then, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, you have to be in a caloric deficit. Now, why did the diet work that you went on? You know, like you'll speak to people and they're like, oh, I was 
I was on a, a, a high fat, low carb diet. Why did it lose weight? Why did they lose weight? Because they were in a caloric deficit. They went on carnivore diet. Why did you lose weight? Because you're in a caloric deficit. I went on a paleo diet. Why did you lose weight? Because you're in a caloric deficit. It doesn't matter what the diet type is, as you said, yeah. whatever works for you. But the overarching theme of those diets is you have to be in a caloric deficit in order to lose body fat or lose body weight. So if we then go full circle and then come back to, okay, let's look at health and let's look at performance, you can periodize your caloric intake usually through manipulation of carbohydrates is probably the easiest way manipulating fat is also another way keeping protein probably fairly steady based on your total body mass and then it becomes a little bit easier to manage because it's not like one food is demonized oh i can actually eat rice i can eat pasta i can eat bread but i've just got to understand the proportions of that and understand what my portion size is relative to my body size in order to achieve the goal I'm trying to do. And if your goal, as I say, is if your goal is weight loss or fat loss and improving body composition, then we need to just manage the total caloric intake across the course of a day, a week, a month in relation to your exercise. And that's exactly what Phil does. And so how, how does that work? Because, I mean, if you are training for an Ironman, you know, you're doing two days, so you kind of need to eat more, but there's like a fine line. Well, exactly. So you don't, and I think, again, like we see this all the time, is athletes trying to starve themselves in order to lose body mass and lose fat mass, yet ultimately what that's going to have an impact on is the ability to perform exercise, which if you then can't perform your exercise and you're not moving day to day, then your total caloric expenditure is probably going to go down. So, you know, the the human body is very smart. If you don't feed it, we know that, uh, that casually like, or causally that the, the day's energy expenditure will likely drop because your general activity will drop because you don't have the energy. It's this energy flux whereby if you're low in energy, you're not going to move as much. If you're high on energy, you're going to move more. The body tends to manipulate and modulate what is actually going on. So if you are in a caloric deficit and you are doing exercise and you're managing to do that, you still probably need to be cognizant about just generally moving day to day, i.e. taking a lot of steps. I think and that, if you yeah. if you do your exercise, if you do your exercise and then you just sit on the couch every day and you, you end up taking, you know, a thousand steps in the whole day, net net, you're probably not gonna have enough energy expenditure. You're probably better off just working on eating better and just moving more as a daily basis rather than going and killing yourself for 60 minutes and then doing nothing for the rest of the day. I know. I find for me, since I'm always on this like I feel like every day is a race. I wake up, I drink coffee, I'm working, and I'm balancing, like, I'm sure all of your clients, right, all of your athletes that you work with, all of us age group athletes and pros, like, we've got a lot going on. And one of the things we think about is exercise, our daily work, if it's not exercise, and nutrition. And so, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I will have, like, a cup of coffee, and I'm actually not hungry, I'm not hungry, but I also need to work out. So I have to force myself to eat breakfast so that I can, you know, have that 
hour window for my food to digest before I go for a run. And I can't even go for a run after an hour. I mean, this is where I'm at in my nutrition is I'm trying to figure out like, what can I eat before I run for X amount of time? And how long do I need to wait between when I eat that thing till when I go for my run? And that's kind of like, you know, and then I build all my meetings in between the time <laughs> that I eat and the time that I can run. Uh, that's basically, and then, you know, then it will happen is I won't work out all day and I will have eaten all this food and then I'll have like <laughs> to go to the pool and that's even worse. So yeah, I'm starving in the pool and then I come home, you know, it's, it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle, but my goal is to be healthy and perform well. So I always feel like I have to, I'm always thinking about that. And I'm sure your athletes think about that too, right? Yeah, well, hopefully they don't have to think about it because that's what we do is we give them give them the program so that, you know, in your case, like let's talk about your morning run. Like what is your morning run? Right now it's really like an hour. So I don't really need to eat anything. Well, well yes and no because I look at you and I'm like, you know, <laughs> is your overarching goal, is it to lose body mass or lose body fat? That's a very personal question. Body mass or body fat. I'm just looking to have a good run. I'm not okay. looking to lose anything. I just want to be like strong on my run. Perfect. So if you think about that, what's really important for you to do? Yeah. It's probably to eat something prior to the run. Yeah. Now you talked about needing to do that for an hour before. Well, it depends because it depends if you're trying to train the gut and train the brain to actually be better at actually coping with having a full stomach improve gastric emptying, improve carbohydrate absorption, whatnot, then actually eating sort of five to 10 minutes before that run, even if it is of high intensity, right. can be a useful exercise in itself, especially if you suffer from GI, GI complaints. Yeah. But, you know, for something like that, you're going for an hour run, you want to feel really good. Something as simple as a piece of toast, um, a crumpet, um, a, a wrap, something like that with some jam on it or some a little bit of peanut butter and a bit of jam, yeah. jelly, the Americans, yeah. you know, that can be a perfect snack. It will give you around 20 to 30 grams of carbs. It will give you five to 10 grams of fat, give you a little bit of protein out the door. You've got energy, you've got fuel on board. We know through science that if you do a session with fuel on board, you will generally, the RPE, so the rate of perceived exertion is going to be lower and the ability to push out, to go faster or push out more watts is going to be improved. That's exactly what I've been doing. So originally I was eating oatmeal for breakfast every morning, which I think is great. But I think there, I think my body just stopped wanting to, I mean, I've eaten oatmeal and I'm also mostly gluten-free. I don't, I have like a gluten intolerance. So it's kind of made me really think about how I, like my carb intake as well. So let's talk about carbohydrates. There's so much information out there and so many different theories and philosophies. And I don't even know that it's like a theory or a philosophy. I think people just continuously learn more about how carbohydrates can benefit or not benefit certain people. So I'd love to understand more about how to use them while you're racing. How do you figure out the number that you should be taking in per hour based on what zone you're in and what your goals are. Okay, so that's probably far more interesting than getting into the science of carbohydrates because it's actually a practical strategy that, you know, is something that we work on a lot with our athletes and we tend to focus on. So 
I think what is really important initially is for athletes to understand that carbohydrates are an important fuel source when you're wanting to go hard and fast. So think about it this way. If you're working more than, say, 65 70% of your VO2 max, then, and that's going to be a percentage, you know, people can go and get that tested either with a metabolic cup or you can then work out, there are formulas so you can work out percentage of, say, either your lactic threshold or of your maximum heart rate. Okay. So if you're going to be, or even as, as an RPE, if you're working probably at a six or a seven of an RPE, a rate of perceived exertion, and you need to do that continuously, as I said before, for over 80 minutes, then carbohydrates are pretty much going to be your preferred fuel source. So that's the, the first important point. Right. When you then think about how do you go about understanding the grams per hour that you need to consume, what you need to do is establish some baselines. So again, what we do within the fueling program is the athletes will record what the session is. Let's say it's a bike session at Z3 and they're going for, let's say, 120 minutes. So what they will do is then note down everything that they eat during that session. And then what you're doing is, okay, so uh, your liquid carbohydrates, your chews or blocks, <clears throat> your gels, if you're going to consume a bar, fine, doing that, recording what, everything you're doing, and then dividing that amount of grams of carbohydrates by the duration of the session, i.e. by two hours in this case. Now, what that's going to give you is a grams per hour that you've managed to achieve. Now, again, a lot of athletes will come to us and say, oh, look, I consume a lot of carbohydrates. I'm very good with this. And then they do something like that as a simple test. And it actually turns out that, okay, they're consuming 32 grams yeah. per hour. That's it. And that's very low. And yeah. that's very, very low. So 32 grams, don't, don't get me wrong here, that is a very low consumption rate. However, what you often see with athletes like that in particular, women athletes, is that they will complain of a sense of fullness, potentially nausea, burping, maybe flatulence, as a result of just taking in that amount of carbohydrates. Now, it could be that amount of carbohydrates that was causing the issues, or it could be the types of carbohydrates that they took in that could be causing the issues. So i.e., was it liquid carbohydrate that is causing the issues? Because if you get a lot of burping, a lot of belching, um, a lot of sort of upper GI complaints, that can be related to gastric emptying. We know that a highly concentrated carbohydrate liquid can slow down the rate of gastric emptying from the stomach into the small intestine. So if you're complaining of those types of symptoms, then it may be that because you're using a liquid carbohydrate, that is what's causing that. If you're complaining more of potentially nausea, cramping, um, maybe excessive gas, things like that, then it could be something more to do with absorption, maybe going through the small intestine where you're not managing to actually absorb the carbohydrates. And that could be due to the type again of carbohydrate. So was it too, was it too much fructose? Was it not enough glucose? Um, were you taking in these multiple transportable carbohydrates, i.e. glucose and fructose? at a ratio or at a rate that wasn't required because your actual rate of consumption was very, very low. Right. So there's a lot, again, there's a lot going on there, but I guess for the athlete, what they've just got to think about is, okay, well, what was I eating? Was it liquids? Was it chews? Was it uh, gels? Was it a bar? 
did I get symptoms, yes or no, and then go about sort of working out, okay, if I deduct or remove one of those products and consume the same rate of carbohydrates, i.e. go back and do another 32 grams, but without maybe the liquid carbohydrate, what were your symptoms like? Oh, okay, now they were better. Okay, now we're going to say maybe we remove or reduce the amount of liquid carbohydrate that you're consuming, start to increase the use of blocks or chews or gels, and then start to increase the total amount of carbohydrates on an hourly basis. And then you start to see progress through repeated efforts of this. And that is, that's pretty much how you start to improve your, what we term at fuel in the carb capacity. So your ability to take on higher amounts of carbohydrates per hour right. um, through repeated efforts. Is to be able to take yeah. more because it gives you more energy. But you have to kind yeah, of I mean, like workshop it and ease into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, you've got to start somewhere. Like the gut is like a muscle. And I think like any muscle, you can train a muscle. So first time you step into the gym, you go onto the bench press, you're not going to bang out a hundred kilos. Right. Okay. That's not going to be, unless you're, okay, maybe you're quite strong, but you know, most people are going to go in there. They're probably going to load the bar up. They're going to put a 10 on each side and that's going to feel pretty heavy. Yeah. And then the second session, it gets a bit easier. Third session, they start to have more weight and so on. And it's the same analogy with training your gut is start with an amount. You've got a baseline. You know, some people can take in huge amounts from word go with no issues. I, I personally can take in 90 grams an hour on a run with no wow. air. Like it's just nothing at all. Now, I'm very lucky. A lot of men, fortunately, have lower, uh, have a higher tolerance to carbohydrates than, say, women. Women tend to get more GI issues. And we see this historically and what we're seeing anecdotally through all the, the data that we capture in fueling is that women will generally have a lower consumption rate per hour and also grams per kilo body weight. And so it is through repeated efforts of these type of intensity, i.e. race pace or above, where of significant duration, where the athletes are being encouraged to actually practice their race day fueling in training. And okay. I can't emphasize that enough. If you want to use carbohydrates in a race situation, you need to practice it. Simple yeah. as that. And Professional athletes do this all the time. Yeah, and you still don't even know what's going to happen on race day. I mean, you, at least well, you have a better idea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, things go wrong. Uh, I think we had 16 athletes racing at Lake Placid on the weekend. All of them, you know, have come out of it with a learning experience. Some yeah. of them, you know, didn't maybe do as well as they wanted in terms of their GI complaints, but they all actually posted PRs. So it's... That's great. Whilst they didn't necessarily have the best race of their life because they, you know, I guess somewhere along the line, everyone thinks they're going to have the perfect race. The perfect race probably doesn't exist. Right. That yeah, is a whole at, other, yeah, I mean. Look at look at Bloomfeld on the weekend at the yeah. PTO. Like he cramped and still came second. Yeah. I mean, well, I think he had a cramp. But like what about, things like, are going like to like go wrong in a race. Like going all out for the entire race until the last few miles. I mean, that's a whole other strategy. I love his enthusiasm yeah. and his like, just, I'm going to go for it. He's so young. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, exactly. When you're young, things are easier, aren't they? Yeah. But I mean, I think it comes down to like, 
you know, what's going to happen in the race is going to be dictated by what you did in training. Now, if you go into training and understand what types of products you yeah. can use and get your consumption rate up. Now, you know, as a minimum, what we're pushing athletes to get to is an absolute minimum 60 grams an hour. Okay. Now, obviously, depending on your, your pace, uh, how fast you want to go in the race, what your athletic ability is, obviously your ability to tolerate carbohydrates, that may be as high as you need to go. But then for the athletes, the age group is the pros who want to ultimately go faster and faster. Then, you know, 90 grams an hour is sort of your new benchmark. Okay. And then beyond that, we know that if you can set yourself up on the bike and get up, you know, for women aiming around 100, 120 grams an hour, and for the men certainly getting up to 120 grams an hour on the bike, that is going to set you up on the run. Yeah. Because we know we know that taking on these exogenous carbohydrates, these you know ex external carbohydrates, and consuming them is going to help with keeping blood sugar stable. It's going to offset the when you eat everything on the bike. Are the, is it all like stored for the run, or you burn through it on the bike? You're using it. And that, that's the point. Like you're using. We know that the oxidation rate of these carbohydrates is quite high, yeah. and so you're getting through this exogenous carbohydrates potentially sparing now again like it's not going to completely spare the stored glycogen so there's glycogen in the muscle and the liver but it is going to offset the use of that at least to delay the use of it or minimize the use of it so that when you are getting off the bike you're coming into the run feeling actually pretty good and then depending if it's a, a 70.3 or an Ironman, you could probably look to drop down the rate of carbohydrate intake on the run, maybe to around 50, you know, anywhere between 40 and 60 grams an hour and still go really, really fast. On an Ironman, okay, you're probably still going to be wanting to consume fairly high rates of carbohydrate because of the duration of it right. and because of the pace. But the overarching theme here is that if you can set yourself up on the bike by taking in large amounts of carbohydrates, your run is going to be significantly better. Okay. And again, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that in the research. Well, we're not seeing it in the research so much because actually we don't have a lot of data on triathletes in terms of looking at high consumption on the run, uh, on the bike going into the runoff. But we're certainly seeing it in the clinical sense with all our athletes where they're reporting, wow, I actually felt amazing getting off the bike and actually had power in my legs and could go at the pace that they desired to go at. So carbohydrates are really sort of the secret to success when it comes to performance in triathlon and running as well. One of the secrets to success. One of the secrets. Yeah. yeah I mean, again, like if you're talking about race on race day, yeah. certainly if you want to go fast and you're looking to perform at your absolute best, then I would be strongly urging an athlete to consider using carbohydrates as their primary fuel source as right. opposed to one of the other macronutrients, i.e. protein or fat. Right. If you want to eat fat on a race day, just be prepared that you're probably not going to go as fast as someone on carbohydrates. Well, that was you know something that everybody was talking about I don't know if it was last year or, you know, being on like this mission to burn fat and use fat as fuel during racing. Like what happened to that concept? I mean, is that even, do people still do that? What? No, I mean, it's all, you know, this notion of metabolic flexibility whereby you're, you can increase your ability to use your endogenous fat 
source. So the fat on your body as a fuel source at a intensity, you can, you can push that intensity to the right, i.e. you can work at a slightly higher intensity and improve the maximal amount of fat that you can burn as an athlete at that given intensity. Now that's done through training by not necessarily smashing high amounts of carbohydrates in lower intensity sessions of significant duration. And that's the point when a coach gives you these long, low intensity bike rides or low intensity runs, whereby you're not gonna be smashing huge amounts of high glycemic type carbohydrates, i.e. gels, blocks, liquids in those and potentially using um, you know, smaller amounts of carbohydrates, but certainly higher amounts of fat. And that's how you go about improving metabolic flexibility and it, look, it's probably overarching is it's the long duration type yes. sessions at low intensity that helps with that, regardless even of what you're eating, it's just time spent doing it at low intensity. But so that will help your ability to use fat as a fuel source in the race. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about using exogenous carbohydrates to fuel high performance. And it, it, you've got to remember as a listener that, or as an athlete that it's not like there's a switch and you suddenly go, oh, now I'm using carbohydrates. Yeah. Like you start off in the race, you're probably going to be using some form of, you know, mixed macronutrients from the body and taking it in. But then as we get through, like beyond three hours, the rate of fat oxidation and the rate of carbohydrate oxidation goes through the roof. It doesn't matter what you're eating. Your body is using everything it can at this point in time. And so like once you, and that's a really important point as well. Once you go beyond three hours, your body is burning fat as well. Yeah. And so how does breakfast fit into that equation and like what you eat on race day, like, and you know, how far in advance and how do those calories play into the rest of your day and your strategy? So, I mean, you, you talked about oatmeal before. Like, so you know, in your scenario before where you were saying you were going out for an hour run, I would yeah. certainly, you know, depending on your total calories that you require, but oatmeal or overnight oats. So oats with some protein in it, whether it's a, you know, a whey protein or a plant protein mixed in with that combined with some nuts and seeds and your oatmeal, um, perfect post-run meal. Yeah. Like that's a really good post-run meal. I probably wouldn't recommend you going and eating that before going and doing a high-intensity run at that yeah. point in time. However, on race day, you've got to remember that you're probably consuming this meal two hours, hopefully two hours, at yeah. least 90 minutes before the start of the race. Now, again, let's think long course, 70.3 or an Ironman. You're going to be out there for a long time. Yeah. yeah? Like at least so best five, case, six, five hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah, does that good, good case for, for a seventy point three? Yeah, 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 five hours would be fantastic. Yeah, or six hours, you know. <laughs> average age group, you're probably talking, you know, six plus hours. Yeah. So why wouldn't you eat a large breakfast in the morning, mm -hmm. which is going to sustain you with some energy? So we're talking carbohydrates, fats, and protein at that point in time, because you're going to go. Your rate of digestion is going to be sufficient to allow you to eat that. Now, again, I wouldn't say go and eat a large protein oats with, you know, fruit salad, some toast, everything like that. Take in 120, 140 grams of carbs, maybe 30 grams of protein, 30 grams of fat. If on race day, if you haven't practiced it in training, right? again, think about what you're trying to do here. You spend so much time swimming, 
biking, running, all that training, and then you go and sabotage it by trying something that you've never done before on race day, i.e. a large meal that you've never practiced before going and doing a really long break. So, again, what we emphasize in our program is practice what you're going to do on race day, i.e., understand exactly what you're going to eat on race day and so go-to meal would be something like protein oats with you know banana some fruit salad a couple of bits of toast jam peanut butter um probably a coffee because it's four in the morning or whatever it is and and you're going to be as long as you practice that and depending on your body size and i'm giving rough amounts there but you're, you're probably aiming for around you know hopefully two grams per kilo body weight of carbohydrates as a minimum yeah. along with potentially 30, 40 grams of protein and 30, you know, 30 odd grams of fat just to get total calories into the body yeah. because you're going to be expending a lot of calories when it comes to this day. And you expend calories even when you're not doing anything. So it's like if you are eating breakfast at four in the morning, like while you're you know, on your way to the race, you're not getting in the water till 6.37. So that's like three hours. And when you're swimming, I mean, you know, the food's already probably digested. So well, it's being digested, you know, it's going to sit, <clears throat> it's going to be in there. And, and again, I mean, the, the other point is, is, you know, we're talking about taking in some fiber in the morning of the race and the days leading into the race, you would be, you know, aiming to reduce fiber intake. So you're aiming to reduce total fiber intake, potentially reduce intake of FODMAPs, FODMAPs being um, carbohydrates that are known. How do I explain this in simple terms? So FODMAP stands for uh, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, and polyols. These are types of carbohydrates which confer a lot of health benefits through being generally insoluble soluble fibers that the gut microbiome feed on to produce short fatty acids, the okay. short chain fatty acids, which ultimately fuel a lot of the physiological processes that go on in the human body. Now, whilst they are very important for overall health in the, in the human body, they also are known irritants and the fermentation of these, which will occur in the large intestine, generally can cause things like burping, flatulence, bloating, all the, all the signs and symptoms where people say, oh, I'm, I'm very sensitive or I've got potentially a, um, a sensitivity or an intolerance to something. Now, some of those symptoms are normal symptoms because of the fermentation process. Okay. There are some types of FODMAPs that ultimately can be known irritants and by reducing those in day-to-day nutrition, that can obviously be a big help to an athlete or an individual who does suffer from say GI distress on a day-to-day basis. So those FODMAPs in particular, things like, you know, garlic, onion in particular, are known FODMAPs that cause irritation. You want to start to reduce those total fiber 48, probably, you know, 36, 48 hours leading into a race, because what you're trying to do is reduce total fecal matter inside your body right. you're trying to reduce the amount of i guess ultimately yeah. the amount of shit within you yeah so because you it doesn't happen when it, you're running you don't have it in you exactly yeah. but then on the morning of race day you actually want to take in some fiber because we know that fiber and carbohydrates in particular are protective of the gut lining when we talk about heat stress injury which is most likely going to occur during long duration high intensity hot environmental exercise 
Yeah. I so mean, that's there really is important really to think important about like, the days leading into the race as well, which I just learned something totally new from you, which is really interesting, is really to put some thought into like what I'm eating that whole week leading into the race. Because, and I know that I'm not alone, but you know, what happens to me is I'm fine. I swim, I'm on my, on the way, I'm on the bike, I'm good. And then four miles into the run, I'm, I'm like, feel like I want to go to the bathroom and I'm glad to share this with my listeners, but, <laughs> but it is what it is. And I know that all my other listeners that are athletes like share my pain and you're like, you want to keep going, but like you have to stop. And it's like, you know, I know it comes down to what I've eaten on the bike and my nutrition. And I, it wasn't always that way. It really just started like in the last, like the last season, this and this season. Yeah, and then you know what you what you are consuming on yeah. the bike, yeah. and what you've consumed in the days leading up, what you consumed in the morning. Um, you know, could you evacuate in the morning? <laughs> to put it nicely, like you know, were you able to do that, and and were you able to then again, like you know, look at again if you get a lot of issues with the run off the bike yeah which is the most common complaint and the reason for that is because of the mechanical stress applied as opposed to on the bike where you're in a very stable position ask yourself how often do you practice the fueling on the bike and then fueling with the run off the bike because if we look at the majority of what athletes do and this is again I'm not saying every coach does this I'm just saying we see it and it's something that we work with a lot of the coaches on is Let's put in some decent run off the bike in conjunction with a decent bike leg in training to see actually what happens. Then if you start doing these 90-90s, I tend to refer to them as 90-90s, yeah. 90 minutes on the bike as opposed to three hours on the bike. But instead of a 20-minute run off the bike, why don't you push that out to 60 minutes or 90 minutes and actually practice high carbohydrate fueling on the bike and go into high carbohydrate fueling on the run, i.e. the way you're going to do it in a race right. and see what starts to happen. And if you start to do that, you might be pleasantly surprised that A, okay, first time you do it, probably feels terrible and you'll get a lot of GI complaints. You'll probably need to go to the toilet and so on. But then as we go back full, you know, go back to what I said, you start to work out what products can fuel yeah. you very well on the bike, but also serve you really well on the run and this is where again if you're taking in if you're just doing bike sessions and you're taking in a lot of carbohydrate liquids you know let's say Gatorade or Tailwind or any of these you know products which are high concentration carbohydrate you probably will feel pretty good on the bike you're probably not going to necessarily complain that much some okay. people will some people won't however if you take in that huge amount of liquid and then run off the bike, what happens? Most common complaint, I felt like I had all this stuff sloshing around inside my gut. Yeah. And then what happened? 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in, I had to go to the toilet. Because that high concentration of carbohydrate reduces gastric emptying from the stomach. If, however, what you do is maybe modulate that, take lower amounts of that carbohydrate liquid, I've definitely softened on athletes taking in some form of carbohydrate with liquid. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you have to completely eradicate. Maybe if you've got a lot of issues, remove it initially and then reintroduce it slowly. But certainly look at, you know, maybe it's 20 grams 
that you're getting through the liquid carbs. And then you're taking in gels. A lot of the gels these days, they're 30 grams of carbs. Yeah. Start to think about that. You've only got to eat three gels every 20 minutes. Yeah. And you're taking in 90 grams of carbs, like an hour. You top that up with a couple of sips of a drink, which has maybe, okay, let's say 30 grams in the, in yeah. the bottle. You're drinking a bottle an hour. Okay, you're at 120 grams an hour straight up. And it was that easy. And then because you've taken in less liquid, you've just taken in a little lighter amount of liquid, which might have some electrolytes in it or predominantly water. You get off the bike, you're into the run. You're like, oh, wow, my gut doesn't feel terrible. I'm not sloshing around. And then I'm going to start, okay, for a female, maybe 20, maybe 20, 25 minutes in, you have your first feed depending if you're a man and depending on what you're trying to achieve, it might be 15 minutes into the run. Okay. You then have your first gel. On the runs, what products would we recommend? Gels. gels. Use gels on the run. Not gels. Yeah, absolutely. Or why? Do you really want to be chewing something and running really fast? Honestly, I feel like it's I spend the entire hard. time of my race eating. I feel like I waste so much time eating, but I know it's important. No, you, you're certainly not wasting time. I mean... But I mean, it, it's, uh, I remember Sarah saying, and, you know, Sarah used to always get comments. They're like, she'd talk about it being like an eating competition as opposed to a yeah. triathlon, you know, where she, she was smashing. Yeah, and we see this all the time, athletes. It's so funny because so many photos come through and they're just eating, eating, yeah. eating on the bike. And it's, yeah. it, it's managing calories. I think as much as anything, like a triathlon, certainly an Ironman, an Ironman 70.3, there you're managing from a practical standpoint how do you actually carry this type of fuel and how do you actually get it into yourself on a regular basis in order to make sure that you're fueling appropriately and yeah yeah we did we do a really cool thing that we do at fuel in is that we do weekly q a sessions so we do um you know topics every week on depending on what the athletes want whether it's high carb fueling last week's was on actually the practicalities of carrying all the fuel which was probably one of our probably one of the best sessions we've ever had because we had athletes like lena thames who's a professional danish athlete share what she does on how her bike is set up we had age group champions uh come on lindsay foster we had pat romano we had these athletes who either from professional to age group show how they set their bike up and then what they do in T2 and how they manage their run and how they actually go about, you know, consuming caffeine, electrolytes, carbohydrates, what products they're using. And it, it's fascinating to see how different watch athletes. That? Or only if they're part of uh, that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll probably, we'll probably put that one up on our YouTube yeah. channel. Okay. Um, we tend to put them out later. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's fascinating to hear athletes share you know, like one of the guys, he had, um, you know, because bottles often come out, Yeah. you know, when you hit a bump and things like that. So he uses like a female, um, what are the little elastic bands? So he puts hairband. those, he loops yeah. that over, yeah, a hairband. <laughs> um, he loops that across the nozzle of his bottles in the back of his gorilla cage, which is easy to flick on and off as he grabs the bottle, but it ensures that they never come out. Now he's an engineer. That's brilliant. So like when he, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Who else? Uh, Lena Thames. She, um, 
So she uses precision hydration. They don't have any sodium and the caffeine amount in there isn't as much as, I don't think they've got a caffeinated gel. Maybe they do. But so I, I tend to recommend 200 milligrams of caffeine as a bolus because that, you know, in science has been shown to be more effective than a, a smaller dose. What she does is put a very, very small slit in the top of her precision gel and then slides the 200 milligram caffeine tablet into that. She tapes that to her to the bike. She knows that's the caffeinated gel. She knows exactly based on what we've talked about when to take that gel. And so it's clockwork and it's all yeah. about, she practices that as well. And it's yeah, just about yeah. being really systematic about the way you approach this nutrition because we can talk about the science. We can talk about, oh, okay, you want 90 grams an hour. You want 120 grams an hour. But if you don't actually practice it and you don't understand the practicalities of it, it's all just theory and therefore it's useless. Yes. I mean, I concur. <laughs> you have to practice. <laughs> you have to You have to try all the different things and see what works for you. And like, there's no one brand. I personally, I love talking to a lot of the founders that are creating these, you know, products from, you know, Andy at Precision Fuel and Hydration and other gel companies and brands just because everybody's gut is so different you know and even products that worked for me two years ago like I had to stop taking but but yeah I mean and you've got to figure it out so the time to do that is when you're training and then you know you have to explore I've never actually drank my carbohydrates because I reserve water for hydration and sodium and, and stuff like that. So your point about liquid, uh, taking liquids in the form of water or electrolytes, that's a really important point for athletes to think about as well, because if the race environment is not going to be very hot and you're sweating, your sweat rate is going to be fairly low, then if you're relying on carbohydrates in liquid form, you run the risk of either not drinking enough or and taking in enough of your carbohydrates because you just actually don't need to take in fluids or you run the risk of actually over-consuming fluids and putting yourself into a positive weight balance, which ultimately we don't want to be doing. We don't want to be taking in too much fluid because of the risk of things like hyponatremia. So how do you find the balance? Is there something that you can do to figure out like what amount of water you should be taking in on race day? Do you believe in the sweat tests or any of those things? Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between sweat. So again, like if you talk about the confusion that's currently existing with sweat tests, there's there's a sweat rate test and there's like the sweat sodium test. So the sweat sodium testing that's being done <clears throat> by companies like Precision Fuel and Hydration by Levelin. Levelin uh, is another sweat patch uh, that uh, you've got the Gatorade patch, which is giving an estimate of, sodium concentration in the sweat okay. now again there's there's a little bit of debate about how important that is whether habitual sodium intake will have an effect on the concentration of sodium in the sweat whatnot i think what we know is that some sodium is important to be consumed in your liquids in order to actually allow you to absorb the water in conjunction with carbohydrates yeah. Um, carbohydrates being probably the most important part of improving uh, sodium uh, absorption. But I think when you're looking at this, and again, anecdotally, I know people are going to say there's not enough research out there to support the high intake of sodium in terms of performance. 
But what I'll always say is that, okay, we know, we see these athletes that cramp a lot. They start to increase their sodium intake through supplementation, through electrolytes on the bike, on the run, and it reduces their cramping. Now, yes, it may, like the studies are showing that high intake of sodium hasn't necessarily improved performance, but I'll, I'll counter that by saying that if you suddenly cramp, you're going to go very, very slow. It's one of those ones where maybe the science needs to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the amount of research that's being done needs to catch up with what we're seeing anecdotally by those people who do suffer from cramping in races and seem to benefit from taking in higher amounts of sodium. Now, again, is it the higher amounts of sodium they're taking in or is it the higher amounts of carbohydrates? Is it the combination of the two of them that ultimately is stopping them from cramping? We don't actually know what causes cramping. So it's sort of still up in the air. And that, that's right. the crazy thing about it. Historically, I've taken salt tablets and I'm always on top of my hydration with the water. And in a time where I have been cramping, I have taken salt. And I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but it worked. So I don't know. That's my science. We see this a lot with athletes where, you know, they they report a lot of cramping. Um, I think overall what we're seeing, so do I believe in sweat rate testing? Absolutely. I think it's really important for athletes to get an understanding of what, how much body weight they're losing when performing exercise, whether that's on the bike or on the run and at differing intensities. So, and certainly at race intensity, you want to have a good understanding of what it is as a, as a mark in the sand of your average sweat rate. Now, it's not going to be a definitive marker. It's not going to be like, right, I lose one litre per hour every single time. It's probably going to be a range whereby you might be losing something like 0.8 to 1.1 litres per hour. But what that allows you to do is manage your, you know, in session, so whether that's training or whether you're race day, hydration appropriately. And I think that's really important to understand whether you've got a very high sweat rate or whether it's a moderate or whether it's very low because I think, again, what we're seeing is unfortunately we see and there's far more danger in over-consuming fluids than under-consuming fluids is that because of this notion of I need to drink every aid station or it's it's drilled into athletes that they need to be, you know, hydrated at all times, there is this risk of overconsumption of fluid, of hyponatremia, where, which is potentially life-threatening. And so I think, you know, as a, as a starting point, you certainly as an athlete want to understand how much fluid are you losing per hour and then appropriately managing that and, and appropriately managing your percentage of body weight lost. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how do you do that? You weigh yourself before a session, you weigh yourself after, you record the amount of fluids, that you consume during that um, and then you plug it into a, a calculator and it will give you percentage of body weight lost. Um, you know, we do that, again, within the Fueling app. We provide all that. Um, so for my listeners who are like, wow, this is so awesome and I really want to try to do all these things and really dial into my hydration and my nutrition and overall match that with their training and their coaching and their performance, like they just, it would just be easy if they sign up for Fuel In. Because it would take a lot of the guesswork out. I mean, and it, you know, it looks like you have a lot of different options for athletes on your program and your platform. Talk to me a little bit about the programs that you offer to athletes that want to sign up for Fuelin. Thank you. I mean, it's 
it's very, uh, you know, being Australian, we don't tend to sort of, you know, sell ourselves very well. And oh, so yeah. you know, it's the whole tall poppy syndrome where you get cut down if you do too much of that. So um, it's nice to hear someone be very complimentary about the program. But, yeah, I mean, look, we, we have three different tiers. We have one-on-one, which is uh, certainly there's a cost involved with that, uh, whereby it is um, $500 a month to work one-on-one with either myself or Elizabeth Infant. That's generally for people who really want to understand, you know, at a a fairly high level, sort of a a fairly intricate level of understanding their health and how to improve their performance. And so that's not for everyone. We then have another tier, which is what we call a co-pilot, which still allows uh, coaching from myself and Elizabeth uh, with reviews of things like blood tests, um, metabolic card, day-to-day nutrition, um, supplements, everything like that. And that's more focused around the community in terms of a group training uh, and understanding that coaching method. And then you have what we call autopilot, which, again, as I think I was explaining to you, uh, you know, for $25 a week, which if we break it down to lattes, is probably a latte a day. And, yeah. you know, ultimately if you remove the latte from your from your life every day, you probably are on the journey for <laughs> potentially improving body composition in its own right. So, um, you know, for $25 a week, uh, you get this synchronized training plan, nutrition plan, which synchronizes with Training Peaks Today's plan or final search. It um, will provide you with, you know, your pre-session fueling, your post-session fueling and your in-session fueling, along with the sweat rate calculator and the ability to understand your sweat rate and how to manage your hydration appropriately, your carb capacity sort of calculator um, and learning from an individual basis how much carbohydrates you can cope with and how to improve that. And then everyone, all the athletes get um, this, you know, the access to this weekly Q&A session with either Elizabeth or myself, which I, I think is a, a major value, uh, major a major selling point, you know, if we want to call it that, in terms of just upskilling and educating everyone on the program with, you know, the ability to ask us questions on a weekly basis, whether you are in the autopilot or whether you're in the one-to-one, you then have access to sort of learn about the latest and greatest in, uh, I guess, performance and nutrition on a weekly basis, which is which is really lovely. You also have recipes for people that that's really a great perk of the platform. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that I always think, um, you know, the recipes, I, I love cooking. And so, um, you know, the recipes, I think we've got over 700 recipes within the app and they're all color-coded. So they're going to be either in the red, which is, again, the lower amounts of carbohydrate, the yellow, which is the moderate, and then the green, which is the higher amounts of carbohydrate and probably more geared towards fueling um, for racing and high-intensity training and, and training sessions. All right. And, um, um, and the athletes, the athletes can just, you know, the way it works is you'll be given a color for, you know, before or post training. Uh, you just click on the cell. It brings up, you know, hundreds of different options that you can choose from. Um, and then you can use those either as inspiration and use those to inspire you to then, you know, put in your own sort of flair and enter that into, say, lose it or my fitness power if that's what you're doing for tracking. Or you can just, you know, consume the meal that we recommend, tick it off, and that will subtract from the macros on the day as well. So, you know, you have multiple ways of looking at, 
your nutrition and your diet? Because I think one thing, when I did create the program, I was very reluctant on telling you, Marnie, like, okay, I need you to eat two eggs on a Monday. I need you to eat a lasagna on a Wednesday and I need you to eat, you know, uh, chicken and rice on a Friday when I can't tell you that, A, because I don't know what's in your fridge yeah. and, B, I don't know what your training is going to be on that particular day, whereas if we can actually sync with your training program and then provide you with a framework around the principles of fueling correctly, then you as the athlete are empowered to actually make decisions and get an understanding of what your body needs and what foods you tolerate and cope with the best. And I think that's a really powerful sort of paradigm to be in whereby, you know, you as the athlete are in charge of what goes into your body. I'm just giving you exact, I'm giving you the principles of how much you need and providing you with examples of options that you can choose. And then depending if you feel like chicken, beef, tofu or whatnot, you can then make that meal based around what you actually prefer to eat. And I think that's, that's a super way of thinking about nutrition as opposed to being really prescriptive and saying you need this particular food at this particular time of day. And now are most of your athletes triathletes that are on the program? Uh, they're not all triathletes. We have Ironman and, and triathlete, I guess, is the predominant, you know, athlete population we have on there. We have cyclists and then we have quite a few mountain bike um, athletes as well. Uh, so the yeah the, the mountain biking seems to be very popular at the moment and what's really interesting is that they're also coming on trying to understand how to fuel their performance as well because they're probably chronically underfueling yeah. and that, that's a different you know we go back to what we we're saying about the difference between a triathlete and say a mountain biker or a cyclist is that the cyclist gets to stay on the bike the entire right. time so their choice of fuel can actually be different from what the triathlete chooses. And now we can go potentially to actually using a liquid carbohydrate because, again, coming down to the safety of the mountain biker, they've probably got a camelback on. They don't want to take their hand, hands off the handlebars. So the predominant fuel source is probably going to be a liquid carbohydrate. Right. And they're going to cope with that very, very well. And runners, I mean, they're just starting to use nutrition on their races. <laughs> I'm a runner first. Well, there you go. And that's the other group that have really started to pick up is marathon runners. Yeah. You know, people who are doing half marathons and marathons are now reaching out to us saying, how can I improve my marathon? And, you know, I had a uh, one of our longstanding athletes who's been actually on the program for just over two years because he just loves, you know, he's, he's a CEO of a very high-powered company but he just loves the simplicity of looking at his daily plan because he's got a hell of a lot going on in his life. And he's like, oh, okay, it's a red meal. Fine. I know that I've got to eat salad with a lean source of protein. That's what I mean today. Oh, it's a green meal. Okay, I can go nuts. I can have some rice. I can have some pasta. I can have sweet potato, potato and get my total amounts of carbs up. He just wants to see a colour and then he knows what type of meal he's going to be having. But he was explaining on the weekend he did a, a half marathon and he did it with some friends and he had to just really drill it into them to maybe consume some gels, you know, during the run to actually get them to feel really good. And now they didn't take in nearly as much as him. Now he came third, I think, in his age group. Right. Um, you know, he and he, he smashed it out of the park. They didn't do quite as well, but they sort of were like, 
oh, that's pretty interesting. I didn't think you needed to take in any carbohydrates when running. And I'm like, that makes no sense at all. Why? You're still running really fast. You're trying to perform at your best. What do we know? We know that carbohydrates are going to enable you to run faster and further if you take them on board and you've got prolonged like exercise. It's, it's really funny, though, how like there's like just different personalities within each sport based on where the origins are. Right. So sure. I think runners, it was like this fringe culture back in the 70s when the first running boom happened. So people who are like serious runners historically would not be taking in any nutrition. But I, the times have changed. Yeah. I mean, everything has changed. But yeah. And I think you've got to move with the times. Yeah. And it's like, again, I'm not saying everyone needs to go out there who's running an hour and no. take on jobs. Not an hour. <laughs> but, but there's going to be, you know, if your half marathon time is, what, 130, something like that, 130, 140. Right. If you want to try and bring the time down, then there is going to be a notion for practicing with some higher carbohydrate fueling during the training sessions that require it on maybe the weekend to actually practice tolerating those carbohydrates, improving absorption, improving gastric emptying, and then allowing you to go really, really fast. And, and so I think there's this badge of honor for runners to say, oh no, I did a, I did a marathon without eating anything. And it's like, good on you. You probably could have gone so much faster if you actually took on somewhere between 60 and 90 grams an hour during that marathon. You probably would have smashed it out of the park. I mean, I have to say that, like, before I did triathlon, I was a runner. And when I started doing triathlon and I was learning about nutrition, I was like, wait, you mean I'm going to be eating the whole time, like, even running? But it really is game-changing. And I think, you know, it's true. The times are changing. And how do you work with – athletes who have like food allergies do you I know you said you worked with someone your first athlete had Hashimoto's an autoimmune disease so obviously I'm sure you're sensitive to those things within fueling yeah so I mean when when you first sign on um obviously we ask about you know known allergies and then potential intolerances and then the meals are uh, filtered to remove you know if you're allergic to gluten say my mother's a celiac you know if she would not be presented with any meals that contain gluten in them. So you have, therefore, the range of recipes to avoid certain food types or certain ingredients. And then also, like, the same thing with plant-based athletes. Yeah, so we have vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians, and it's just the dietary preference that they prefer. I think the important thing, no matter what that dietary preference is, and, again, we, we see this quite a lot, is, you know, just because you're a vegetarian or a vegan doesn't mean that you're necessarily healthy. Right. You know, if you think of a vegetarian or a vegan, you can still eat pizza, you can still eat pasta, you can eat bread because they're non-animal products. But is that going to result in you being a really healthy individual? No. Yeah. Because ultimately you're taking in either ultra-processed or processed foods in a high quantity which isn't going to do you any good regardless if you're eating animal products or not. Right. So looking at the quality of your diet is really important and that's something we emphasise a lot. Like whether you're a pescatarian, a, a vegan, a vegetarian or an omnivore, you know, something that we will push on a daily basis is a huge amount of vegetables, you know, leafy salads, vegetables for the individual athletes to take in because 
it's something that we know historically is very, very low in consumption throughout the Western world. Yeah. And if we if you look at the percentages of people who actually get in sort of their five or six serves of vegetables, it's incredibly low. We're talking single-digit percentages, which, you know, people are seeing that on their fibre intake. You know, you should be aiming for around 30 grams of fibre per day, keeping in mind what we'd said before. Obviously, if you've got, you know, a big training session of high intensity or a race, you want to be reducing that right. fibre intake in those days leading up. But on a daily basis, aiming for 30 grams of fibre a day, so important for just overall health in terms of, you know, everyone will talk about the gut microbiome. What does the bacteria in your gut feed on? It feeds on fibre, feeds on insoluble fibre or insoluble fibre. How do you get that fibre into you? Eat vegetables, eat fruit. Fruit is not, again, like think about fruit. Like I can't tell you how many times people will say to me, oh, should I eat fruit? It's like, hell yeah, you should eat fruit. Yeah. Like it's fantastic. I mean, okay, it's a source of carbohydrates. Yes, it's a source of fructose. But it's also a source of so many micronutrients and vitamins and minerals that are actually yeah. going to give you so many more benefits than popping a vitamin pill. Yeah. And, you know, if you think, and I, I've said this before, if you think that eating that banana or that mango is going to make you fat, then you've got another thing coming. Like, it is not the banana. It is not the banana <laughs> that made you fat. Like, please. No. I know you work with Matt Dixon and Purple Patch. Do you team up and partner with a lot of big triathlon clubs or are you looking to do that with your business? Is that something that you do? The way we work is we have some dedicated partnerships with teams, Mm -hmm. teams like Purple Patch with Toro Performance, with Malna Performance, Valiant uh, Endurance. We we have some particular and T-Zero is team-based in Australia. We have particular partnerships with those. What we also do is work with a lot of coaches so single coaches and uh, teams single coach teams so um, there are plenty of coaches out there who work by themselves but work with a lot of athletes yeah. so we certainly work with a lot of those types of coaches and then we work with uh, teams with maybe one to five coaches now the the beautiful thing about the program is what we're not trying to do is replace that coach right. we're just trying to assist them and actually allow them to focus on coaching the athlete in terms of the exercise component and allow us to assist them by providing a very detailed and, you know, evidence-informed or evidence-based nutrition program to assist their athlete in being able to achieve or perform in whatever the coach is actually setting out. So rather than being combative, what we would say is, you know, let's work together here and let's actually, you know, it takes a village, doesn't it? So, you know, if you can have that mindset and go, okay, so it's not, it's when we're not going to charge the coach anything to work with their athletes. Like, you know, the athlete gets the benefit of having nutrition experts in their corner, their fantastic coach in their corner, and then potentially anyone else in their corner that actually you know, you're then working along like a professional sporting model where, right. you know, having worked in professional sports for many, many years, the reason professional athletes do so well is because they have multiple disciplines surrounding them, each in their expertise that allows that athlete to benefit from that knowledge. Yeah. And that's amazing. I mean, I could just see it being such like an organic fit. Yeah. And at Golden, Golden Gate um, Triathlon Club actually reached out to us and we've just, uh, signed we're just going to do a partnership with them with their 
their actual team um, rather than a coach per se, actually with the team and helping them, their athletes understand, you know, come onto the program and then provide them again with Q&A sessions and education and actually helping. And we, we haven't done that before. So we, we've only ever worked with coaching teams yeah. as opposed to triathlon clubs, which I think is a really interesting concept and hopefully one that works really well and provides, you know, the, the managers of these teams with, you know, really up-to-date information that they can relay to their athletes but also allow us to talk to their athletes directly and, and hopefully educate them. What do you do for your blood work? Where do you get that? Do you have your own system and platform? We use Inside Tracker to visualize what's happening in terms of trends. So I think Inside Tracker's platform is fantastic for being able to visualize what's happening uh, with an athlete over the course of time. We have at you know, Fueling, we have a set sort of panel that we request the athletes go and get. Now they can either get that through Inside Tracker if they want to do it that way, or they can see their regular doctor, get the blood drawn, and then upload the results into Inside Tracker. Um, it, it's just a really good system, I think, from you know, being able to visualize and sit down with it well, do you know, over a video call and actually show them what is happening um, and what the trends over time look like. Uh, in terms of the nutritional recommendations, I mean, they have nutritional recommendations in there. Um, we also, you know, use our expertise yeah. to, you know, to guide the athlete with what we're recommending from a food and from a supplementational standpoint um, based around that. But it's, you know, it's, it's a fantastic system. I think they've done a really good job at the, you know, the UI and the UX of it um, and how, how it works and how simple it can be. When you are looking at athletes, do you have like certain biomarkers that are your like top priority that people are keeping an eye on? Yeah, I think you can break it down into health and then performance. I think from a health perspective, certainly for an endurance athlete, you want to be looking at your iron status. So uh, ferritin and hemoglobin are probably two of the most important. You throw in TIBC which, and transferrin saturation um, and hematocrit. Vitamin D status is very important for athletes uh, from, you know, bone, muscle, tendon, uh, particularly that that's something that we would look at with the endurance athletes. I think from a health perspective, looking at blood glucose, HB1AC is really important as well. Just understanding where does that look, where does that sit in terms of health parameters, lipid profile, um, that being cholesterol, I think all those markers are very important. Yeah. And again, the differentiation between health and performance and how they interact, I think is important to explain to an athlete and then work on strategies to improve those. And often it's not, you know, drastic changes you need to make. Um, it, it's often just simple things that you're you're changing within the day-to-day -day diet that can have a significant impact on those blood markers. And, and what about you? What are you doing to stay fit and healthy? I mean, you're over here helping everyone else get fit and healthy. Yeah, I, I tend to, I, I run. Um, I've, I've sort of backed off my running, although I think I'll get back into it. And I think we just, you know, COVID has been, as everyone's had, it's um, it sort of threw a lot of spanners in the works, didn't it? And that yeah. sort of derailed a lot of training. So uh, back in the gym, I'm actually sort of back in a period of heavy lifting four or five days a week and just trying to uh, get rid of the dad bod and uh, and running and doing that. It's temperatures starting to warm up here in Australia, so I'll get back out and start surfing again, which will be fun, um, and doing a bit of open water swimming. Sure. 
Um, well, this has been so great. You know, your listeners, I mean, I, I was put in touch with you through an athlete that uses the program and, you know, it's been really fantastic connecting. Yeah, it's been really great. I'm glad that, that she connected us. So thank you.